Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. You know, um, we try in these podcasts to really diversify, to cover a lot of things. And the one thing I have never covered in six years is a true storyteller. So we have Jack Zimmerman on today, who a lot of people may know is one of the public relations men at the Lyric Opera. But Jack has another career as a storyteller. Hello, Jack. Hey, how are you, Tom? Great. Tell us about your your CD that, that I listen to. I was just fascinated. It's called The Gift. Right. Well, you know, I, I've been writing stuff for many years. I've written a couple of novels, and, you know, I wrote a newspaper column for 23 years. My kids were always telling me, you know, why don't you sit down and record some of those stories you're always telling? And, uh, you know, that's what I finally did. Uh, I My son was out in California. He was living in the, the Bay Area. And uh, this thought just came to me. I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to tell some stories and have him compose some music for between the stories. And so I started, and uh, I started by writing down the stories, of course. And uh, that sort of took a lot of work, because when I wrote them, they didn't sound like when I spoke them. And fortunately, I have a very good editor, mostly my son, who would keep saying, you know, this doesn't sound like you. And so basically, I finally got them to sound like me, and they're, they're written down. And uh, I went to a recording studio and just recorded six of them. Uh, with a dear friend who uh, uh, lives in Houston, who is a recording engineer. And uh, we got those, and then we sent the files out to my son, uh, and he composed all his music. And Isn't that fascinating, though, how how often uh, what we write, we try and be so much more formal right. than when we speak. Right, it, and it doesn't work. I mean, it really doesn't work, and you're not yourself. And most people, when they write, they try to be a better person than they are. And that's not always very interesting. Yeah, that's true. So, let, so let's go over these stories because they're very Chicago-based. Is that yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah, tell me. You're Southside Irish. Southsider. Right? Yeah, my mother was Irish. My, yeah, my father was German. That's why Zimmerman would be more of a German name. Yeah, so so that was quite a, I mean, that was just quite a thing. They were both second-generation uh, people, you know. So it, it was quite a place. And I grew up in this very ethnic neighborhood of Market Park, which was all Lithuanian. Uh, so it was quite a mix of people, and most of the men in the neighborhood had laboring jobs. Most of the men were not white-collar employees. My father was, but most men, you know, worked at a factory or was an electrician or something like that. So it was it was quite a mix of people. Uh, no one was highly educated. It was basically uh, most people just got through high school. And most people didn't own cars when I was a young kid. So you were, you're kind of my generation. Yeah. And, uh, so I was born in 45. 45, born in yeah. 44. So we're that same. Yeah. I guess we're before the, uh, the, the baby boomers. That's yeah. what everyone tells me. The baby boomers were like 46, 47. I guess. Right. Right. I was like a year, year or so before that. And, uh, yeah, it was quite a different Chicago, quite a different America at the time. Yeah, I, I seem to remember that we were we were the last of that generation you know, growing up in the fifties. Was could have been the forties or thirties. Right, exactly right. I mean, my music was not the Beatles. My music was like big band music. Was you know Glenn Miller and those kind of people. Me too. It was like my parents, kind of. That's what I listened to, and, and the Beatles were kind of foreign to me. You know, 
it was uh, it was like people a little younger than me got into that. Yeah, isn't it amazing how every couple of years it's a, it's a new generation? It is, yeah. But I think so many people uh, can relate to your your uh, your CD, which the one we want to talk about now is the gift, and and the we gift, will get yeah. to the new one. Yeah. Uh, but um, so tell us that. So there, these are growing up. So I was fascinated by the wake. Yeah, th- that story is called Wakes, and it's about going to Wakes with my parents as a young kid. And that, in my mind, that is the Chicago of the 1950s. That, you know, cars without air conditioning, Chicago without expressways, just a different world. Women staying at home, uh, houses without air conditioning. So, like, when you went outside, you heard people arguing in their houses, you heard people eating dinner. I mean, it was a, like a different soundtrack. You know, now everyone sits with their windows closed and, uh, you know, with the air conditioning on. But but in those years, summer was like, you, you spent summer in your neighborhood and you you heard everything that was going on in the neighborhood. Yeah. Do you remember going to the parks on the very, very warm nights to yeah. sleep in the park because yeah. it was cooler? Actually, we, we never did that. We hit a basement okay. that was sort of finished. Uh, we were sort of high end. Wow, like that was. Park, Most you know. basements were mud it, floors. Well, I mean, it was, uh, it, it was a concrete floor, but my father painted it. So, you know, so we would sit down in the basement, you know, and sort of, uh, you know, try to absorb some coolness. But yeah, that was a different time, much different time than now. Yeah. And, and to, to some of our listeners, we, they think we, they may think we're talking about the 1890s. <laughs> Yeah, right. No, it's, it was, you know, the 1950s and 60s, but that's, that's like, that's a story. The first story on the CD is Wakes, and I, I think it's just, the, it just absolutely captures the 1950s. And then I sort of go sort of through my life with the different stories, uh, and there's six stories, and the last story winds up with me in my 50s taking a bicycle trip around Lake Michigan. That was fascinating. So it's, uh, you know, it's like a, an enormous arc of time. Uh, evolving, you know, from the time I was a little kid and being driven around in my father's car to the time I'm, you know, this old man on a bicycle circling Lake Michigan. How long did that take it? Wasn't it like 10 days or something? 10 days. Well, I rode, I, I was in, uh, I, I don't know if I can still do this, but I was in my 50s when I did it and I could ride 100 miles a day and I did. I rode 1,000 miles in 10 days. Wow. Yeah, I get tired and, driving that far. I know, but you know the great thing is on a bicycle, everybody talks to you. So you know, there's stories in that that, that last story, the real closer. Uh, that could only happen if you're riding on a bicycle. I ran into this guy who had really been around a long time, and I just found so much inspiration from him and his story. Well, tell us a little bit more about that one because that's a good excerpt to give it uh, yeah. a sampling of of uh, well, the storytelling CD. I, I'm riding, I'm riding around Lake Michigan and I'm, I, alone. And, and on the fourth day, uh, I get up to, uh, pretty close, I'm getting, edging ever closer to the, the bridge. I'm going around through, uh, uh, Indiana and Michigan. And, um, anyway, I'm getting ever closer to the Mackinac Bridge. And, uh, I stop in this little town. And, uh, the only thing that's open is the McDonald's. And I go in, and, and there's one guy running the McDonald's. There's nobody else around. And this guy's telling me it's his last night in the McDonald's. He's being fired because he refuses to be the opener. He refuses to work mornings. He only wants to work nights. And this guy tells me, he says, I've been a closer all my life. 
and you know he's like 30 years old. <laughs> he said, I, I'm a born closer. And, and he just won't let go of this. Uh, and I said, well, you know, you're in a very small town here. You know, uh, you're not going to get hired anywhere else. I mean, come on, how much employment is here? And he looks at me and he says, Burger King and hire me in a minute. <laughs> and I just, I mean, I was just fascinated by the smallness of this guy's life. That that the difference between opening a McDonald's and closing a McDonald's was so important to him. But anyway, I... I go to bed and I wake up the next day and I start riding and I get to this little town called Bliss, Michigan. There's like four houses and a store and I stop in the store and I meet this old man. And this man, he was just the most amazing person. I mean, he talked about all these things he did in his life. I mean, this guy coached football. He built scenery in Hollywood. He was in uh, Michigan politics. He did all this stuff. And it just spun one wonderful story after another. And I, I sat with him for a couple of hours. And he just talked about the importance of being alone, of, of spending time alone and reflecting. And, I mean, it was like a, a lesson, a life lesson. And when I get ready to leave, I get on the bicycle and I turn back to him and I said, I'll see you later. And he says to me, son, for me there is no later. Wow. And that story is just like contrasting the, the two people, you know, this, this one guy who's absolutely accepting of life's end and all these things. And this other guy who's so petty that he, he can't he, he can't get up in the morning to open a restaurant instead of closing it. You know. Wow. So I guess you're one of those people who just tunes in the stories because I don't you didn't take the bike ride just to find stories, did you? No, no. But I. I that's a big part of me. My wife always says we can never go anywhere fast because I always have to stop and talk to people. And I, I like that, though. I, I like hearing people tell me about their lives. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something, it's, it's wonderful entertainment, if nothing else, you know. But I've ridden bicycles. Like, I, I tried to ride a bicycle to Wyoming once. I, I folded in Nebraska. But I ran into this garage full of old men in Iowa, western Iowa. And... These guys were so deeply philosophical, and I'm I'm in this garage, and it's like 110 degrees outside. And these guys were, you know, they were in their 60s, 70s, you know. And it's a, a truck repair garage, and but there's no trucks. <laughs> and I said to them, "Well, uh, hey, aren't you know?" I, I I sat there drinking cokes with them in the middle of the day for about an hour, and I said, "Hey, aren't you guys supposed to fix, you know, be working on trucks?" And the guy said, "You know." We've worked on trucks our whole lives. We can we can work on steam trucks. We worked on you know diesel trucks. We work you know he goes through this whole thing like the history of trucks in America. We've worked on all these trucks, and he looks at me and he says, you know, we can fix any truck. We just don't want to. <laughs> so I thought I want to retire with you guys. Yeah, you're great, man. Yeah, they, they get it. So so you get you get really get tuned into the stories then. Yeah, stories is. My mother was a terrific storyteller. She was Irish, and she came from a family that they were all terrific storytellers. And that was a big thing. We'd get together and just listen to their stories. You know, that's I grew up with. Uh, I had uh, Irish great-grandparents that were still alive in their 90s when I was like 10, 11. And I used to be fascinated. They'd sit and tell stories for hours and hours. Right, right. And, you know, it's like my relatives, I never heard any of my Irish relatives ever tell a joke. They felt like jokes were beneath them. They were something that, you know, were preconceived and, and, and not something 
based on their own experience. And like just hearing a joke, they would sneer at jokes. Yeah, that's you true. Know? But but they just wanted to hear stories, and they they were terrific at that. And the stories were funnier than any joke. A lot. I know because they they were natural and it came from their experience. They were true. There was a huge amount of truth to them, and and a huge huge amount of humanness to them. Yeah, you know? and and. Uh, uh, what I remember is, is a lot of the stories change by either the mood or how many uh, cocktails they might have had, yeah, or, yeah. and they they tend to get better. Yeah, where they yeah, with re- retelling, they did. Yeah, I mean they they a- after about five years of telling, they I mean they really got good. Yeah, they did. So, but what? So your your inspiration for doing the CD was was your your family. They were saying, Dad, you just got to do it. Right? Yeah, and. You know, I sort of, I, I've done a lot of different things. And I think the one constant in my life is that I've always told stories. Well, you I know, was looking that, at your bio and uh, uh, parking lot attendant, yeah. greenhouse laborer, dock yeah. hand, trombonist, college instructor, piano tuner. It was a great yeah. story about your piano tuning uh, yeah. on the gift. Uh, <laughs> newspaper columns, magazine editor, PR man couple of novels. Yeah. Got to tell us a little about your novels. Yeah, there's one that's, uh, the, the one that was published, was uh, published in, um, I think, uh, 2006, and it's called Gods of the Andes. And it's a South Side novel, uh, takes place in 1959 on the South Side, uh, in this neighborhood where the neighborhood bets it all on the Sox winning the pennant. And, uh, so it sort of follows the Sox season and various characters in the neighborhood, you know, they're pinning their hopes on this because this is going to bail them out of all their troubles. And it does. So, uh, I remember yeah. that when people thought we were getting invaded by the Russians when right. the siren, right. they daily put the sirens on. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal. And, uh, I, I mean, it was a, one of the great shining moments of my youth. You know when that happened. Me too. I was, I'm a Northwest Sider, but I always hated the Cubs and yeah. loved the White Sox. I was the rare, rare one. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I had a, a grandmother named Minnie. She was German, and her name was Minnie. And she adored Minnie Minoso, <laughs> who who didn't play on the '59 Sox. She was in Cleveland. She was in Cleveland. Year. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, my grandmother just loved Minnie Minoso, and every day she'd pick up the sports pages and she'd say. Well, let's see what my mini has done. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she, she was just in love with Minoso. And actually one of the characters in the novel is kind of based on that kind of love. There's a woman in there who absolutely loves Minoso, has never met him, uh, will never meet him, but she was just absolutely in love with him. Uh, is that novel still, uh, Yeah, it's available? still around. I think Amazon has it. Amazon? And, uh, Give us yeah. the title once more. Uh, Gods of the Andes. Gods of the Andes with yeah. Jack Zimmerman, and you can get it through Amazon. Yeah, and uh, the people say, well, how is Gods of the Andes related You know, it, there, to, to the south side of Chicago? Well, there's two characters that are married to one another, and early in their marriage, when they'd make love, she would say to him, you are my God of the Andes. <laughs> and then, anyway, in a, in a sort of a drunken party mood one night, he tells the other neighbors about this. And at the end of the, the novel, somebody says, they win the pennant, they get all this money, and uh, somebody says, we're all gods of the Andes tonight. You know? so. <laughs> That's cool. And, and what about the other novel now? 
Well, the other novel isn't published yet. That's oh. a, a murder novel uh, about uh, takes place a little bit in the seventies in Chicago, and a lot of it takes place in Upper Michigan, in uh, Manistique, Michigan. So that that will be coming out. Well, I hope so. You know, I'm looking for a publisher. I I go off and on on it. You know, I send them out and you know get rejections, and then I think, well, maybe I should. You know, just publish it digitally. I don't know. So, and it, it, it's just something that's kicking that around. That tends to be a, a trend with all the with the new all the yeah. reading. Yeah, I still like reading the paper. Yeah, but uh, I see I'm on the the subway all the time, and I see people reading these electronic readers. Yeah, yeah. So that might be a good route for you to, to go. It's the way to get it out. You know, that, that's one thing. But right now, I I've just completed five new stories. Yes, tell us for, about this for. And I, I don't intend to record these. These are just for performance. And, you know, when I when I got the gift done, I started doing readings. I mean, it wasn't something I planned on doing, but, you know, somebody said, well, why don't you come over and read for us and we'll buy some copies, you know, and that kind of thing. So I, I started doing public readings for the gift, and I really got into that, and people loved it. So uh, I just did five more stories, and the collection's called Night Watch. And uh, we're going to, my son and I, actually we met today about music, and we're going to start doing them. Yeah, the, the next one you have coming up uh, is uh, the Wednesday the 21st? Yeah, I'm going to read four of those stories uh, at uh, the Arts Club. Uh, the Arts Club. You know, yeah. I've never been at 201 East Ontario. Yeah, Sound but it's a, it's not a public, for, I mean, it's for Arts Club members. It's oh, not, okay. Yeah, it's not for the the masses yet. I mean, I'm just trying this stuff out. I mean, I don't know if it works or not. Nobody's ever heard these stories. Well, that's great. I can tell you, folks, uh, when you listen to the CD, you can tell Jack's a storyteller. And I have attended some of your lectures uh, uh, that you do before the the operas. And uh, you are, you are, you should have your own TV show. <laughs> <laughs> really, you're a real pro. Well, thank you. I mean, you. You, when you can make some of those those obscure operas uh, uh, come to life, and then when you see them, it's it's like you're oh, talking thanks. in my ear. You know, tell yeah. me about it. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, those those are terrific. So the, this is a new venture for you. Uh, yeah, uh, the public readings. Yeah, and it, it's a, nothing I ever intended to do, but uh, I just sort of fell into it, like everything else in my life. I sort of fell into it, and. Uh, so these new stories, the, the first one is about how, uh, basically one of my big thing, things that I've done for the last 20 years is I worked at Ravini and I worked at Lyric, and I've always handled patron complaints. And it's just the story of how I got into that. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, you got to have patience of a saint, to, especially the, the kind of people go to Ravini and the opera. Some of them have got to be a little tough to handle, I would Yeah, think. yeah. But anyway, that's, that's how I got into patron complaints, and then... There's a, the second story is my life in jazz, and it's about me trying to play jazz and being stellarly unsuccessful at it. Um, Trombone? Basically, unsuccessful at music in general, whether it was jazz or classical. Um, and then uh, the third story is about uh, these sort of go backwards through my life. It goes into my, my days as a night watchman. It's called Night Watch. It's what the collection is named after. And uh, I, I had a job for about three months as a night watchman and was fired. So, anyway, it's that story. And, I mean, when you get fired from a night watchman job, you really don't feel good about yourself. I mean, <laughs> your only your only job is to be there, and I screwed that up. 
So, uh, uh, and then there's a job, uh, a job, then there's a, a story called The Greatest Man I Ever Knew. It was about an old man I knew growing up, and uh, as I got older, I looked into his life and found that he was truly, truly a remarkable man. Um, but you would never know this because he never talked about himself. But he was really an amazing man. And then uh, sounds like a book there. Yeah. Well, this this guy was he was truly the best man I've ever known. Wow. Yeah. And uh, he was just this old man that lived in our neighborhood and uh, nobody thought that much of him but uh you know i i got into his life when i was in my 40s i started researching it and uh wow he had an amazing life isn't that incredible how many millions of people in the world there are that have these great stories and as much as we you know document them through you know novels and documentaries and theater and opera and yeah. everything else there's still so many stories that that escape us. Well, this guy played major league ball at one time in his life, okay? Wow. And he hit one home run in his in his lifetime. And that home run was in Yankee Stadium with Lou Gehrig playing first base on the Yankees and Babe Ruth in the uh, right field. That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the to the yeah. to these stories. Uh, I hope you record these things because you may re- reconsider. You know, well, I think if we record them, it's going to be a live recording because the one thing I learned is you know we did the the recording first and then we I never read them in front of anybody until after I did the recording. And the whole pace of them is different when you get in front of a live audience. Yeah, and I, I and I think that I think to a polished guy like yourself, I, I, I think it's going to add an energy. It's kind of like reading a play or, or acting it out in front of an audience. Yeah. It's a yeah, different but dynamic. It was, it was so thrilling. I mean, when I, when I got in front of an audience, I couldn't believe it. What was? Tell us about the responses. Well, it, it was, they laugh, they, 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 they say things, there's that energy that you get off them. That I, I'm not a performer, you know, and I, I, I never witnessed that before. But you stand up there, and you and these people really get into the story, and it just sort of spurs you on, and uh, it's it, it's wonderful. That is, and it's a it's kind of a rush, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's a huge rush. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and it's funny. The first time I got it, I was sixty five years old. <laughs> it's not. It's not uh, when you do it. It's if you do it. Yeah. Well, I'm having a big final act here. That's the thing. Big big closing. Well, of course. Yeah, that's that's right. that's what it's about. Remember, I'll never forget when George Bernard Shaw died at ninety-five. The day after his last play was produced, trimming a tree fell out of the tree on his oh, head. God bless him. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll go that way. I don't know if I'll trim a tree, but ninety-five yeah. sounds good. Ninety-five is, uh, yeah. Well, I I would outlive my pension by then, but uh, I'll I'll try for it. Sure, that's what kids are for. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, but but tell us the, uh, you have all these stories. Yeah. Which one, how do you pick the ones that you either read or you record? Oh, yeah, that's, that's hard to say. I mean, I, I have, I, I've told lots of stories and, you know, I sort of get a fondness for one or another and I, I sit down and I try to write the story as I tell, would tell it, you know, and, um, I don't know. I, I, I look at them. I write, like I wrote more than five stories for this collection, but I felt these five are the, are the best. And, um, 
I, I mean, I honestly, I, and I try to take stories from different points in my life. I try not to have all, everything happening as a young man. You know, I like to have stories from my middle years and stories from my, my later years as well. So in a, in any collection. And, uh, so we basically, this is my plan. I plan to do two more collections of stories. So I would have about 20, 24 stories. And then I want to publish that. That sounds like a like an excellent plan, because we need stories uh, out, uh, especially about people like yourself. Well, well I get a kick out of the the sheer honesty of your stories. You're not afraid to say, tell you about your wealths and all, are you? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. You know, it's this is the one thing I know, though. I mean, I've lived all these stories, and I know this stuff. You know, it's not like I have to go to the library and do research or anything. This is me. And, uh, you know, at this point, this is the way it is. But isn't it amazing when we get older how we can be so honest about ourselves because we're at a point where we kind of don't care what people think. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and I think there's a huge amount of self-acceptance that comes with age. You're not, you're not always trying to be something else or trying to be something better. You know, you sort of look at yourself and you say, well, this is it. You know, and uh, these are my stories. Yeah, and uh, I think they're they're fascinating, and 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 the the the, the life lessons built into them. Uh, but I think now I I I'm guessing you're at a point now where since you're giving these stories public, that the the reaction of the audience is going to have some influence on which stories you kind of pick from here on end, wouldn't you think? Well, I mean, I think I think if I go out and I start telling stories and there's one that nobody likes, I think that's not going to make the collection, you know. But, uh, I mean, I, I think these stories, they're all, as I say, they're honest. Uh, they're, I won't say they're difficult to write or easy to write, but they do take time to get them to the point where they sound natural. You know, it takes time to, to, to work with them. I recite them over and over again just so the story follows the way I talk and my speech rhythms. Um, it, it, it's quite a bit of work, really. I mean, to put, it takes me about a year to get five stories ready. Wow. Well, that's, that's, that talks to your patience and to, to you wanting to be really good at your craft. And, and I admire that. Didn't you, uh, Tell one of the stories on uh, radio in a very famous program. Oh yeah, I, I, uh, the woman in the next office, Magda Kranz, whom I've worked with for years, sent my CD to Garrison Keeler, and he loved the story. He loved the first story, especially the uh, the weights that we talked about. And he had me on uh, his program uh, when they did a broadcast from Ravinia uh, to tell the story. And it was great. I was on the air with Garrison Keeler, Prairie Home Companion. Wow, that's I big called, time. Yeah, I called all my wife's relatives and told them, you know, <laughs> son-in-law has done well. You know, that that is terrific. And uh, but uh, I can see you uh, doing some more stories with him. I, with great anticipation, let's put a plug in. The you're at Wednesday, March twenty first. Yeah, it, but it, as I say, you better call. Okay. I, I don't think it's open to the public, okay. but there, there will be some other. I'm, I'm trying to schedule some readings in April at public venues, oh, April okay. and May, and uh, I'll be back to you on that. All right, so how, how can uh, 
do you have an email that, that uh, people sure. can say, uh, hey, let me know? Yeah, it's uh, jwzimmerman45 at gmail.com. All right, once more. jwzimmerman45 at gmail.com. Yeah, folks, I, I highly recommend that you... Uh, you send Jack an email, and you can also uh, you can also order your uh, your CD, the gift, through that email. Correct? Yeah, you can order it there, or you can go to jackzimmerman.net. Oh, jackzimmerman.net. Okay, that sounds good. Because you know, uh, storytelling is a, is an art that when people say, oh, "What's storytelling?" but when they start listening to it, they just they just get so engaged, they love it. Well, you know, it is theater. Yes, it, it is. It, it is theater. You're, you're constructing this tiny little space with just one voice. And, uh, yeah, it, I think of it as theater. I mean, that's what you want the listeners, where you want the listener's mind to go, to imagine all these things. Yeah. And have you ever thought about some of your stories, uh, structuring them into a, into a play? No, not yet. I mean, I don't have the ability to do that. I'm not a, I'm not a person who grew up in theater. And, uh, I, I, I mean, I, it would have to be done by someone else, I think. But I think some of you, you playwrights, uh, Jax has got some great material. I mean, you <laughs> really do develop some some unique characters. I mean, uh, so you'd be open to a collaboration with a talented I'd, playwright. I'd love to do it, but I, I don't have the ability myself to. I, I don't know anything about well, the theater. arts. Is that's what collaboration? You know, yeah, it is. most most theater pieces, just like most operas, don't come from from the original. So there's it's a collaboration of many yeah, artists. Right. Yeah, right. Okay, my last question for you is, is, what do you see yourself doing in the future? This, I, I ask this of everyone. Are there well, projects I, that you yeah. have in mind? I, I Yeah, I do. And I already told you about it. It's the book, to try to get these stories into a book. And uh, I also write a lot of poetry that nobody knows about. Oh. And I want to start going to, and I've never gone to poetry readings. I've never done that. But I want to start getting this stuff out, and uh, it's meant to be spoken, not read. So I, I'd like to go to poetry readings and, you know, recite my poetry. Well, you know, I'm suggesting you maybe ought to slip one or two in some of your readings just to test the be. waters. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> yeah, could because be. if they're anything like your 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 stories, uh, they're going to be worth listening to. Well, thank you. Jack, this has been great. And, uh, folks... Uh, Send Jack an email and uh, stay in touch with him because he he is a, a Chicago icon and a and a talented storyteller. Jack, thanks so much. Well, thank you very much.